Well, good morning, Parkview. How are you this morning? I am so pumped to be here. My name is Brian, and I am the campus pastor at Lockport. And uh, if you didn't know, Parkview is what we call a multi-site church. Now, what that means is that we have one church with multiple locations, and I are the other location. So I am so glad that you guys have chosen to have me be here today to be able to... Uh, to, to talk with you. I want to welcome our, our online visitors. If you're out there in a Starbucks somewhere, just say what up to somebody around you. We're glad that you're here with us. But man, I'm pumped to be here, and it doesn't take much to get me pumped up, but I am pumped up to be here today because I'm excited to be able to kick off our series called Pursued, as we just saw. See, over the next four weeks, we are going to be spending some time looking at the fact that God pursues us over the course of our entire lifetime. That despite what we've done or where we might have been or where we currently are at, God still is wildly passionate about us. And He still pursues us with, with everything that He has, with all of His might. And we're going to do this by looking at a book in the Bible called Hosea. Now, I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're like, it is about time that they got to my favorite book of the Minor Prophets, right? You are welcome. After all of your emails, it finally worked. And one email came through asking for Hosea. Listen, it's an obscure, obscure Bible. Even for the Bible stuff, it's obscure because you don't see Hosea verses on coffee cups and shirts and stuff like that. But I'm telling you that it is some awesome, awesome stuff. And yes, it has some things that are jacked up. More jacked up than Ben Affleck playing Batman. Yes, more jacked up than that. But it's amazing what it teaches us. It's amazing what it teaches us. In fact, I would say this. I'd go so far as to say this. That short of the cross of Jesus Christ, I think that Hosea may contain some of the most effective imagery as far as the love that God has for us. And we're going to see over the next four weeks that God's unimaginable love is demonstrated through an unimaginable situation that we'll read about. Now, Judd Wilhite is a pastor out of Las Vegas. He's got a church there, and he's a very good friend of the Parkview family. He wrote a book called Pursued. And so if you want to dig a little bit deeper and dive a little bit more into it, that is a great book for you to find. You can find that online. It's a fantastic resource. I'd encourage you to do that. Now, let's start. Let's get the 411 on Hosea, okay? So Hosea is what we call a prophet of God. And that simply means that he was God's mouthpiece, that when God wanted to speak to his people, he would go through Hosea. It's kind of like maybe what my wife does through our kids sometimes, from time to time. You know, he'll say, well, you go tell your father that if he doesn't put the toilet seat down next time, maybe I'll forget what the little oil can light means on the car, right? That kind of, that kind of funneling through somebody else to get a message across. But God would speak through Hosea to, to direct and to instruct and to correct his people. And most of the time they found themselves being the bearer of bad news uh, because Israel would have yet again jacked up again and they would have been straying from God so he would have to bring them back, bring them back on the path. But as we learned in our walk through the Bible called The Story, we found this verse in Judges 2.19 that actually describes this crazy cycle that Israel was on. In, in Judges 2.19 it says this. It says, They, being Israel, refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Hosea looked up and he looked out at Israel and yet again they were worshipping other gods, they were prostituting themselves, they were doing all kinds of unthinkable acts and, and they were dis, disobeying what God had commanded them to do. However, Unlike most prophets that we see in the Bible, he wasn't just asked by God to give really good speeches. In fact, he was actually given an assignment that is pretty darn crazy as we take a look at it and as we'll see over the next four weeks. 
Now, before we go too further, I want to I let you know something. That Parkview is a table of contents friendly church. All right, table of contents friendly church. So that means in a minute when I invite you to open the book of Hosea, you have my permission to use the table of contents at the beginning. All right, there is no shame in your game if you've got to do that, okay? In fact, turn to your, the person next to you right now and tell them it's okay to look in the table of contents. All right, go ahead. All right, now, now turn to your second choice that you chose not to. Tell them, right, it's okay to use the table of contents. All right, so if you have a Bible with you, if you have your app on your phone, if you're looking over the shoulder of the person next to you, you can start to open up to the book of Hosea. And as you do that, let me tell you a little bit about myself. The first thing is I did not grow up in the booming metropolis of the suburbs of Chicago, but I grew up on the plains of South Dakota. Mm-mm, yes, right. And I met my wonderful wife in South Dakota at Augustana College. I played baseball there. Cherie ran track. Um, but not only was she a great godly woman, in fact, we met at the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. We, we, we led that group together. And, and not only was she was a, a great Christian woman, not only she was a great athlete, super smart, she was smoking hot, but, but she was also smoking hot, too. Did I? I, I said that twice. Yeah. People are clapping for my wife. All right, that's good. That's good, right? However, I remember that on the moment I knew that we were meant to be together was when I tried to break up with her. <laughs> it, it, was, it was summer break, and I had this nasty little habit that every time summer break would come around, I would cut all ties with girls that I was dating because, listen, they just got in the way in summer. <clears throat> yeah, God, 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 God did a lot with me. <laughs> it's been a journey, right? So when I told Cherie, I said, you know, I think we should break up, I, I didn't get the typical answer in tears and begging. In fact, I got, what? No, 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 no. We are not going to do that. We are not breaking up. And so I said, okay. Like I, didn't, like, like, I didn't even know what to do. Like, so we stayed together. And to this day, we, we, I tell her, I, to this day, I tell her, I said, listen, that was just a little test to see if you really loved me. And she says, to this day, you're just stupid, is what she told me, right? Yeah. So there you go. She said yes. And I'm happy to say that last Friday we celebrated 11 years of marriage together. Right? It's so cool. But, but believe it or not, I didn't show you that just so I can get some brownie points with my wife. Right? It actually has something to do with what we're talking about. In fact, it has everything to do with what we're talking about. So by now, I've given you an, an, an awkward amount of time to find the book of Hosea. And so why don't we look at chapter 1 and we will start in verse 2 together as we read what... The prophet says, he says this, he says, when the Lord began to speak through Hosea, the Lord said to him, go take yourself an adulterous wife and children of unfaithfulness because the land is guilty of the vilest adultery and departing from the Lord. Woo, man, wake up at nine o'clock. That's some real stuff right there, right? Didn't know that was in the Bible, did you, right? Don't, don't rush past that too quickly, though. Don't, don't rush past it, because God just asked this servant, this man of God, this, this mouthpiece for his, his word, that he was supposed to be in tune with him and entrusted with him. He wanted him to go marry a woman of the night. And this isn't figuratively. This is literally. God said, go do this. God said, holy man, go marry an unholy woman, because I need to show Israel something. Now, now that would have been scandalous back in the day. What are you talking about? That would be scandalous today, right? Like if I broke up with Cherie and got Bambi from the block, you know what I mean? Like came in and said, woo right? That, that's, that's a messed up thing. It's kind of messy. But, but the reality is, is that is exactly what God provided Hosea. He said, listen, this is your test. This is what I need you to do in this moment. Now listen, I love being a pastor. I L-O-V-E it. I love being a pastor. But I got to tell you that there are some things that are downright difficult once you come off these stages. 
God will allow me to be in people's lives during the best of times and some of the most difficult times in their life. And you've got to roll with everything that God has asked you to do. It's not all puppies and ponies all the time. He, 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 he challenges me and stretches me and, and pushes me to my limit sometimes, to, to, to areas I never thought I could possibly go. Believe me, it's hard. But he does that to us too, all of us too, because let's be honest, being a Christian is hard too. Literally, when it is you against what the world says, this can be a daunting task. Following Christ does require that we give up our sin and our junk that we carry around for what God offers us through Jesus Christ. But listen, it's still hard. And we have one of two ways that we can read this, or one of two ways that we can respond to this, like what God gives us. You can be like my son Easton as the other day when my, my wife put him down for a nap and we, we heard some rumbling and some things falling and whatnot. And so my, my wife rushed in and she saw, well, she saw this. Yeah, he, so, so Easton had boycotted his nap by throwing everything he had out of his crib onto the ground. But what's so funny about this is that uh, he, <laughs> he, you should have seen him, his poor face looking over because he actually threw all of his pacifiers over too. So he'd actually like... like messed himself up by doing it so he's like oh you know but but we could do that we could just big a boycott it say god no way no way no way no i'm not going to do it we can dig our heels in or we can or we can do what 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 hosea did and we can we can obey that even during this most difficult of assignments this embarrassing task that he would have to be to be up against he he obeyed and so as we continue in verse three of, of chapter one we see this he says so he married gomer daughter of the blame and she conceived and bore him a son Yep, you read that one right too. Yeah, Hosea not only had to marry a, a full-fledged card-carrying prostitute, but her name was Gomer. Yeah, woo! And on top of that, they, they had to have kids. God said, you're going to have some kids, and what I want you to do is I want you to name them certain things that reflected God's feeling towards Israel of what they had done. So their firstborn son was named Jezreel, which means God scatters. God scatters his people. The, their second uh, child was actually a daughter, who they named Lo-Ruhamah, which means not loved. Their third child was a boy again, which means it was, it was Lo-Ami, which means not my people. Yeesh. Hosea, Gomer, Jezreel, Lo-Ruhama, and Lo-Hamin. Why has Disney not picked up on this family yet, right? I mean, can you imagine a line of Gomer princess dolls and Hosea action figures, complete with their jacked up kids, like all around them, you know? To, to, to me, Hosea feels more like an episode of Wife Swap than anything else. You know what I mean? Like where the preacher has to swap families with the prostitute family. This is what it feels like. But, but in reality, this is what God actually called Hosea to do, to, 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 to marry and love a woman that may never love him back and would almost guarantee to be returning to her ways. Now, I, I, was, I was thinking about this. It's almost like when people buy a cat. You know, you buy a cat, you buy all those like clawing posts and like the litter box and all that. You buy the T-shirt with their name on it. You start meowing all the time. Like, and you think like you and then you bring them in the house and the cat doesn't want anything to do with you, right? Just like, meow, like walks away, you know, all the time. That's why cats are weird and then I have one, right? It's, it's kind of what you're expecting Goldman to do. Like, okay, we'll get married, but I'm just going to, I'm going to go do my own thing. And in fact, she does go off and go, starts turning tricks again. But we will, um, We'll look at that in a few weeks here, just as we walk through this book together. But for right now, I just want to stop here and, and let this just kind of sink in for a moment. Because at some point, I, I mean, I don't know about you, but definitely for me, as I read through this and I talk through this, my, my mind explodes with different questions. Like, why in the world would God ask someone to marry a prostitute just to prove a point? I mean, why would God choose to use marriage and infidelity as the vehicle to illustrate his love for us? Isn't there more godly and better sermon illustrations than this out there that he could use? 
But, but the more that I thought about it, not just as a pastor, but actually as a husband, I, I think I started to understand. Because God chose the most intimate and sacred of human relationships in marriage to show what happens when unfaithfulness and sin tear it apart. You see, think about it, what John Eldred says. John Eldred says this. He says, marriage is the sanctuary of the heart. He says, marriage is the privilege and the honor of living as close to the heart as two people can get. No one else in all the world has the opportunity to know each other more intimately than do a husband and wife. We are invited into their secret lives, their truest selves. We come to know their nuances, their particular tastes, what they think is funny, what drives them crazy. We are entrusted with their hopes, their dreams, their wounds, and their fears. Man, that's intense. But it's so true. It's so true. Because marriage is hard work that takes effort and energy. I know, I got to me one, right? I know how much it's work it takes. But I also know that it produces some of the most purest love possible when it is founded and rooted in God's design. However, I also know that when I see a spouse that strays and breaks that sacred trust in marriage, it comes at a cost. And in fact, the pain is unlike anything I've ever seen. And some of you have felt that pain before. You know what it's like to be a wife whose husband leaves her after, for another woman after 20 years of marriage. You, you know what it's like to have to have a wife or have to ha- have a wife who says she doesn't w- want to be with you anymore. She needs her independence and you, only to find her in the arms of another man a couple weeks later. You know what it's like to have to sit your kids down and tell them that, that, that daddy can only see you on the weekends because he doesn't love mommy anymore and wants to be with someone else. That causes something. It causes something to stir inside of us all, doesn't it? You can't hear those words and and just be numb. You have to feel something. And for some of us, it's that we feel shame because we were the ones that did that to our families. And for for others of us, that we were the ones that had to pick up the pieces from things like that. We, We all feel something when we're wronged or cheated on or lied or betrayed. Israel betrayed the Lord in horrible ways. In horrible ways. In fact, we read about them. If you flip to chapter 4 and start in verse 1, we read these words. It says, Hear the word of the Lord, you Israelites, because the Lord has a charge to bring against you who live in the land. There's no faithfulness, no love, no acknowledgement of God in the land. There is only cursing, lying and murder, stealing and adultery. They break all bounds and bloodshed follows bloodshed. If you jump to verse 12, it says that they consult a wooden idol. They are answered by a stick of wood. A spirit of prostitution leads them astray. They are unfaithful to God. Israel chose to forget the faithfulness of God. They they, they chose to forget His faithfulness, everything that they had showed Him over time from the very beginning. The battles that He had won for them, the freedom that He had given them, the grace that He had provided them time and time again. It's as if they took for granted all that God had done for them and they grew tired of God's peace, the peace that He provided. Their sinful nature, it took over. It took over because their pursuit for happiness is greater than anything that they, they had, that God had given them. And they strayed down different paths, leading them to places they never thought that they would go. But I don't think that this happened overnight. I don't think they woke up and this happened. And I don't think that that happens to us either. I don't think this happens just in a snap. Judd, in his book, Pursued, says it this way. He says, when we forget God, it's really that we wake up and choose to do it. It's often subtle and slow, gradual over the course of one day after another. Imperceptibly, we just remove God from the place He used to have in our life. 
Casting Crowns has a song. It's called Slow Fade. And the lyrics say this. It says, it's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white turn to gray. Thoughts invade, choices are made, and a price will be paid when you give yourself away. People never crumble in a day. Can I let you in on something? In fact, I want you to lean in. I want you to listen to this very carefully. That you and I, we have cheated on God. We have cheated on God. Every single one of us has run around behind his back and we think that he didn't know or that we got away with it. Like, like somehow we could pull a fast one on the creator of the universe that, that we could fudge the numbers a little bit or we could just look at that website just, just real quick that he won't have any idea. You see, when someone cheats on their spouse, they don't think of the consequences in the moment or what it's going to happen to their family. When, when we're sinning, we don't think about what it does to God either. We're just thinking about what it's doing for us. In the moment, feeling that little fleeting feeling with inside of us all. And it happens slowly over time as we little by little distance ourselves from God. But what we're doing to God in those moments of selfish indulgence is tearing the relationship we had with Him. We're violating and poisoning this intimate connection that He wants to have with us all. But can I tell you something else? Can you lean in on this as well too? That God still wants to have a relationship with you. He does. In fact, that's what this entire book of Hosea is all about. It's about God's pursuit of us. Not in a, when I catch you, you're going to get a whooping kind of pursuit. But in I desperately want to forgive you and love you again kind of pursuit. For some of us, that seems impossible to even think of, to even fathom. Because our whole idea of God has been wrapped up in a, like, a, like a sausage in a coating of religion our whole life. That, that we equate God to this mean old man that stays up in this tower, and he's got this list of do's and don'ts, and if we, if we don't match up just perfectly, he un, unleashes one of those lightning bolts that he holds at his side. And you don't even want to think about having a relationship with that God, because that God is cold and heartless. It's sometimes we don't want a relationship with God for other reasons. Let's be honest. It's because we're scared. We're scared of what He's going to ask us to do, or even worse, what He's going to ask us to stop doing. I mean, to a man, some of us might even say that, I kind of like my sin. I I don't don't want to stop. We feel as though God's whole agenda, His entire agenda, after lightning bolt throwing, is, is to take all of our fun away. That, that he'll make us dress in denim and churn our own butter and that's, his, that's what he wants for us in our life. That's what we deserve. But I can tell you this, that God isn't pursuing a relationship with you and I to empty our life of fun. He's pursuing us to fill us with a life of joy that our current life can never, ever deliver. You see, when we stop running and start embracing the love and grace and the mercy that God is offering us, then and only then do we truly start to live. Up until that point, we've been getting the free samples at Costco kind of life. Not the full course meal God had decided and intended for us to have. But it starts by understanding that God wants us to know Him and be in relationship with Him. I want want to encourage you with something today. And if you need to write it down, if you need to remember it, remember these words. That you may be far from God, but God is not far from you. That you may be far from God, but God is not far from you. In fact, Luke tells us in Acts chapter 17, he says these words. For one man he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. 
God did this so that they would seek Him and perhaps reach out for Him and find Him, though He is not far from one of us. For in Him we live and move and have our being. How do I know that God wants a relationship with us and not just some sterile religious existence? How do I know? Because as we see in Hosea and throughout all of Scripture, God is crushed when we cheat on Him. Crushed. His heart is broken and He is devastated to think that the children that He loves would run from Him and into the arms of sin. You see, listen to the words in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8. He says, My heart is torn within me and my compassion overflows. Religion doesn't do that. Because religion doesn't care. Religion is simply a machine of rules and regulations. And that, that, that and it provides guilt on top of us. That it doesn't have time for emotion because the system of religion is greater than the person. But in a relationship, things hurt. Things sting. Things affect us when someone does something to us to hurt us. Yet despite all of that, all the things that we've done to God, despite our sin, after our cheating we've done to Him, all of the dumb choices, the things that we've done, God still wants a relationship with you and I. You may be far from God, but God is not far from you. Yes, God gets angry at our sin and it hurts Him. He isn't just like some pinata that we whack away at and, and say we're sorry like a little brother that pinches his sister. It's not like that. The sin we commit literally throws salt in the wounds of Christ over and over and over. But that's the message of Hosea is this, that despite our sin, God didn't turn His back. He didn't retreat. Instead, He sent His very best for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, willingly left His place in paradise to enter His creation as one of us. To live amongst us, to feel pain like us, to grieve like us, to laugh like us. Jesus didn't choose to come down as the creator of the universe to show off his stuff as a king. He came as a baby. He came humbly. He came to serve. But unlike us, he lived perfectly. He lived without sin. He lived without sneaking around anyone's back. He lived a life singing in perfect pitch the song of God's love and grace that he offered through him and him alone. And his reward for this perfect life was death on a cross. The death may have marked the end of his earthly ministry, but his defeat of death three days later marked a new beginning for all of us. That through Jesus and through his pursuit of us, that he defeated sin. And all of our waywardness, all of that can be forgiven and wiped away because of Jesus' death. And one day... And one day we will not see Jesus that showed up in skin and obscurity, but we will see Jesus in his beauty and royalty as King of kings and Lord of lords because that's our Jesus. And that is the song that he is singing, the song of love and pursuit after us despite what we've done to him. Listen, listen to what God says through Hosea chapter 14 verse 4. It just frames it up so well. He says, I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger turned away from them. Those are not just words for ancient people you have never met, but they are for you and for me. They are from the God that loves us and wants us to run into His arms so that He can heal us. So He can heal us. During the series, we, we want you to memorize something. We want you to take to heart a verse from Hosea. 
It's in your bulletins, but I'd love to see you underline it in your Bible, highlight it in your tab, highlight it in somebody else's Bible, get a tattoo of it, whatever y'all got to do, because I think it's that important for us to grasp what God is saying here. In fact, I want us to read it aloud together. Let's read. It says, plant the good seeds of righteousness and you will harvest a crop of love. Plow up the hard ground of your hearts. For now is the time to seek the Lord, that He may come and shower righteousness upon you. Mm. Shower righteousness upon you. My friends, can you imagine what our lives would look like if we did this? Can you imagine what the world would be like if we fully grasped this? If we decided to stop running from God and started to run to Him and start to unbreak up or break up the unplowed ground of our lives, those areas of sin that we just don't want to deal with or that we've forgotten about or that we think we're so far from, that we started to, to break those areas up and started to finally live. When we seek the Lord, we will be drenched with His righteousness and of His unfailing love. And Jesus will drown out our old life and He will raise us to a new and passionate life. A life we don't have to live alone, but a life we live enveloped in the love of Jesus Christ. So I mentioned earlier that uh, Hosea and his wife Gomer had some interesting kid names, but I didn't tell you what Hosea's name meant. You see, Hosea is actually an abbreviated version of the name Joshua, which is the name from which we get the name Jesus, which means salvation or Savior. Now, don't misunderstand me. Hosea isn't Jesus. But what we see through his life is what Jesus offers us. That despite of our sin, despite the fact that we run around on him, he still offers us salvation through him. We just have to stop running. I've always found it easier to catch something that isn't moving, haven't you? You see, I want to remind us that we may be far from God, but God is not far from you. And that in this moment of communion, as we take the bread and take the juice to remember Jesus' broken body and shed blood, this is a moment in time where all of us can just simply stop running and to be still and to allow God's pursuit of us to overwhelm us with His love. That in this moment that we, we, we desire to be with God, that we have the moment where we just simply reflect and say, God, I am, I am sorry for what I have done. I realize my sin has torn our relationship apart and I need you to heal me. And for those of us that are Christians, we realize that that is a moment of, of, of true, true, true joy and embrace with God. But for those of us that don't know Him, this might be the opportunity for you to know Him for the first time. For you to be able to have the love of God wrap His arms around you for the first time and to be saved, to have salvation in your life for the first time. And so as we take communion, I pray that you make those moments with God to be able to push pause, to stop, and allow God's love to overwhelm you. You may be far from God, but God is not far from you. Let's pray. Mighty God and Father, as we prepare to take this communion to remember you, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would remind us of how much you love us. Lord, if there's people here that don't know you, Lord, that they maybe today for the first time would realize that love, that in this moment that they would realize that they are sinners, that they have cheated on you as their Lord and Savior, and that in this moment they would say, God, would you forgive me, Lord? I believe you, Jesus, as the, the sacrifice for my life, Lord. Please, please come in and be my Lord. And in that moment, Lord, we know that you save. In that moment that we are called yours and that the pursuit is, is, is ultimately just beginning because this love that you have for us gets better and better and better. But Lord, if we will stop and allow you to overtake us, Lord, we know that you answer that call. So Lord, may that happen today. 
And Lord, for those of us that do know you, Lord God, would you allow us to, to be there with you, to, to push pause on our life and to say thank you and to, to repent and ask for your forgiveness, but to remember your love for us through this communion we're about to take. Lord God, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for sending your very best in Jesus, who we remember now in communion. In your beautiful name we pray. Amen.